1: Welcome to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Marsha O'Connor, President and CEO of the O'Connor Group in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. They are experts in process improvement solutions for human resources and recruiting departments, and a longtime friend of mine and overall wonderful person. Marcia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura, for having me. This is going to be fun. Yes, it is. And I know that is the case because we're going to start out with a question that has nothing to do with HR, nothing to do, well, maybe tangentially. But uh, otherwise, I want to know when you were in kindergarten, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always know, I want to be a process improvement solution provider for human resources?
2: Oh, gosh, no. Um, I always wanted to be a florist. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Okay. Do you have a green thumb? I do. I do. I actually have behind me right now a bunch of peat pots with a lot of uh, little plants in them right now. So believe it or not. Wow. Okay.
1: So what's your prize plant of sorts?
2: I actually have uh, lemons, like lemon trees, and I have a avocado plant going. I'm impressed. I have a black thumb. I think
1: uh, I decided that God made me a good cook because he knew that plants were going to die in my hands one way or another. So they should at least give their lives for a good cause. So I have to admire people like you who can make them live, grow and thrive. So from there, let's get onto something a little bit more HR, a little more tech oriented influence. This is what we're really here to talk about today. So in your role running this company, providing these solutions, who do you need
2: to influence? I would say it's a variety of people, Laura. You're talking to CEOs, you're talking to the CHROs, um, human resource officers. You're also talking to people that pretty much need that solution. So it could range, and you got to keep in mind you have to influence the receptionists too. Mm. You know because they're going to have a huge say in whether or not you're going to get that job. So it's a little bit all over the place.
1: Interesting. So that you're going to influence CXOs and the receptionists all at the same time. It's it's kind of a very different approach, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yes. You never know. And everybody has some kind of a story and you want to make sure that you treat everybody equally. It's that simple. Gatekeepers are incredibly powerful players. Exactly. And you know, what's interesting is because over the years I've learned and I just have a conversation. And then once you figure out something that they want to talk about, it doesn't matter what the subject is. It's amazing. And then you open them up and they really tell you a lot more than you could ever imagine.
1: Yes. Yes. Being able to get in and get people to open up to you is a a skill that some are born with and some really have to struggle to learn.
2: Yeah. I learned it when I was um, very young and I just started asking a lot of questions and never liked the word no. And so I would ask questions around it so that I wouldn't get the word no, but I would ask them and butter them up first so that I would actually get the answer that I wanted to.
1: Politicking. Yes. Very smart. And is that, would you say that that's one of the most important communication skills that you've had to develop? to build this company and to be as successful as it is?
2: I would say one of them. I would say I had to do a lot more listening Mm. than I was talking. And that is something that I had to learn probably the hard way. And I didn't realize that at the time, but, you know, I wanted to say so much and get it out so much that, you know, I would get in trouble because I talked too fast. And then someone would say, you're mumbling. I can't understand you. And I didn't understand what they were saying until you started playing back what you were saying, And then you realize I can't hear myself either. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs)
1: Yes. And, And look, I'm a Jersey Italian, as I've said many times. I am genetically pre-programmed to talk at twice the speed of light. So I have to really monitor myself to rein in the energy and the speed so people can figure out what language I'm speaking, much less what my point is.
2: Yes. And ironically enough, one of my first bosses I had when I got out of college, he took me under his wings and he literally said to me that you're going to do great in this job. It was in, after um, audit, I went to recruiting. He goes, but you talk too fast. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, you, d- you mumble. And uh, I mean, he was older, he was like my dad's age. And so we got along really well. And he just said, figure it out, find a speech pathologist, take some lessons and report back. Let me know how you're doing. And it was like one year, literally one year of of speech lessons. And by the best investment that he made in me and he believed in me. And to this day, I still use all those tools.
1: That's amazing. And speech pathology is an incredible service area of its own. To the extent that anybody else out there does want to work on their articulation, to work on their speaking style, to work on their clarity, that's one path to go. It's not the only path to go. There are many reasons why people may have a hard time understanding you. Do not assume that it's something that requires a quote-unquote pathologist of some sort or other. That's a very specific specialty of sorts. And while, of course, they can help you with it, that is not necessarily the direction that you don't need a medical doctor. I mean, you could, again, depending on what the issue is, but not to just assume that that's the only route to go. That can be a scary term to some people to think, oh, I have to see a pathologist or a therapist or a, there are many, many providers who can
2: help you advance in that way. Oh, totally agree. But that was 30 years ago too. Right. So I wish I had a you back then. <laughs> um, it would have been the perfect solution by far, but uh, you know, I was it was hard enough to find even that back then, ironically. So sure. we've come a long way. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that because that can be scary for, that must've been a little
1: nerve wracking for you at the time.
2: It was very nervous. Um, not only did I had to take a bus, you know, after my lunch break, take a bus down to South Philly, you had to find it. You didn't know anything about this person. And here you are, you know, having a vulnerability and mm. you had to fix that vulnerability and nobody else around to hold your hand and all too. but you knew you had to do it. And so I started doing it and you know, it was really worth it. But I would say just people should do their research today because we, you know, there was no internet when I right. first started that. So yeah, that's amazing.
1: And clearly it has worked because this is a great conversation and everyone that we've had so far has always been so uh, something they did worked well. Awesome. Now, is that also something that you would consider a mistake or a lesson you had to learn the hard way? Or was there other other lessons that you had to learn along the way as well? maybe a do-over opportunity if you could go back and do it over again? Yeah, I
2: would say a do-over. So I can tell you uh, many times, even through my current job, in regards to what I do. And when I first started out, you know, I would sit down and just listen to people and hear their stories and where they're at. And then we would start fixing as to how to fix things and process improve. So when you say that you are listening to people talk about their
1: problems, what does that mean exactly? Who are you listening to?
2: Obviously influencers, you know, usually a lot of CEOs, I would say majority of my business deals with CEOs. Okay and they'll talk to me because they get a little bit hesitant at first because I'm, I'm selling a service, sure. right? And so what I do is I try to break down that barrier first, and I just listen to them as a friend, and I talk about something that they're in pain. And I could hear about their voice typically because their voice will go up, in a little bit more of a panic mode when they're talking about something that's a little bit painful. It could be their HR person. It could be, um, recruiting. It could be, they have people on their leadership team that they, they don't want to have anymore. They don't know how they have those conversations. And so you start listening to all those pieces and then you pull those little verbs out Mm. that you're hearing and you go back to those conversations and that influence really really comes out because all of a sudden you recap that conversation you go over those three things and even though you might have started the conversation they thought that they needed you for this you end up basically doing like two or three more things that they didn't think they even needed so it's really that listening and pulling out to them to help ease that pain for them but it takes a little practice it didn't happen overnight That's for sure. So was there a a time when it definitely didn't happen? Oh, my first started. Yeah. Um, I remember one lady, uh, I I called one lady up and we were talking and I mumbled and jumbled. I was all over the place. And she said, well, when you get your act together, call me back. (laughs) You know, and I was like, okay. So I screwed that up and I took that seriously. I had another time where we were doing a presentation and it was a big deal for us, a big, big project for us. And I remember to this day that the guy, you know, told me why I didn't get it. He's like, we really liked you. He goes, but I was worried about how thorough and concise you were. I said, why? He's like, because when I tried to call you and use the phone number you put into your presentation, it was a wrong number. And I sat there, I nearly like, oh my gosh. So all these things I have learned over time to make sure that everything is almost like perfect when it goes out, make sure you rehearse, make sure you like, you do your homework ahead of time and you have certain areas where you'll go into to get that influence out. But that's, that has taken me a long time. I've been in business now 13 years, Laura, and I learned something new almost every week. So it's interesting.
1: Isn't it mortifying when those silly little details like forgetting to cross the T or dot the I gets in the way and you're going, that just tanked my whole presentation or my whole deal. Why? Because I forgot to spell check. And the phone number is something the spell checker won't
2: pick up anyway. So you really just feel like there's
1: no net sometimes. Yeah,
2: but he actually called the number and it was the wrong number. And I was like, well, that's a good point. And to this day, I now when I type my number out on anything... I look at it twice. I always do, because I'm like, that'll never happen again. Or it's when you send out basically a proposal, and you think you're done on it, and then you're ready to send it, and you send it out, and it still has the markup information in it, instead of saying, oh my god, I forgot to turn that off, and then save it. And so now, every time I'm ready to send off those documents, I automatically save and reopen it before I send it out, because I've seen those documents, but not properly done as well. So things like that, I've learned over time. Mm. Now, Marsha, you
1: mentioned a moment ago that you've been in business for the last 13 years. So Mm -hmm. you have achieved a lot of goals, met a lot of milestones along the way. What's next? What's the next big goal for you or for the company? And what communication skills do you think you'll need to develop to reach that goal?
2: You know, that's a great question. Because if you ask me that question at the beginning of March, I probably have a different answer for you. We were on the, basically the docket to almost double our size. We were going to add a different division on our group and all too. We were growing gangbusters. And then obviously COVID-19 hits and you go into the three phases of one of shock, then fear, and then get your stuff together. And we're in that phase of get your stuff together and what do you really want to do and where you want to be. And so we're really focusing on the HR side and the recruiting and the HR side has really changed a lot too, because we're becoming more strategist with our HR side of the house. Mm. So we're starting to see that whole area pivot. What I do want to do for myself is in about 10 years is really pull back and really do more consulting. I like working with the CEOs and helping them really build a very efficient back-end office, meaning for like HR and recruiting and even marketing Mm -hmm. and all those areas and all too. And then have my team basically focus on what they're doing, but also go more national too. The fact that we're going to be a blended workforce now for a while, yeah. It basically just opens the door for us to do a lot more on the national basis because I can have an HR professional out in Nevada and I can have an HR professional in Boston and they're all working together because the area of an office is is going to be an interesting world the next like 10 to 20 years now compared to it was in March. So I think we're going in that direction, but I'm a person who has to be busy all the time and I love to learn. So I want to go on that road, but I think with my company, it's still going to do very well. It's just going to get more efficient as well as very focused upon its deliverings. And we're learning that through this whole COVID thing too. So it's been interesting because like I said, if you had asked me that question beginning of March, it'd probably be a different answer right now.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. All right, this brings us to the end of part one and into part two, which is the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. This, Marcia, is your opportunity to take those lessons that you've learned along the way that you just shared with us and flip them around, aim them at our audience now, and give us one challenge. What's one step that our listeners can take and complete in the next 24 hours to help
2: them have greater influence? Oh, I love this question. So I was thinking about this and I wanted everybody out there to go onto their LinkedIn page and they're going to forward it to three of your friends. And I want you within one week, have them come back to you and describe in three sentences what they think you do. Mm. And I think you're going to be surprised at the answers. That's amazing because it is so funny that you think, well, it's obvious
1: what I do. And my friends know in general. And then when you hear it fed back to you, you're going, they wait, what? That's not what I do. Or, well, yeah, but that's like one little piece of what I do. And even for me, I know a lot of people say, well, you're a vocal coach. I'm going, no, not really. I mean, I do work with voice, but a vocal coach to me is a singing coach or a performance, you know, a stage coach, someone who teaches how to sound like you're French or something else for a role you're playing. And I would never think to describe myself as a vocal coach. Although, is a small area of work that I do to make sure your voice sounds good when you talk. So have you done that, Marcia? And how have people described your work in the past? And you've gone, no, 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 it's not X, it's Y.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I have done that. And people had no idea that I was doing what I do, (laughs) um, let alone anything else. And so I made it very clear. I actually put like stars about like motivational speaker and CEO and founder and talent strategist. I had it really Sum up what I do. And now people look at it like, oh, I totally get it. And I do want to make a warning to your listeners because I think LinkedIn is about to even take off even more. I know people are doing resumes out there and all too, but if we're going to be in this blended workforce for a while, most recruiters are still going to just look online and 99% of them are going to be using LinkedIn. And so that first five seconds of opening up that LinkedIn page is either going to get you to have them stay longer. Or not. Mm. So it's really important to take the time to make that look really good for you. So
1: it can't just be a generic picture and a generic title and a generic worked at this location from date one to date two and that location from date three to date four needs to have a lot more personality and detail and other tells in it. Is that what I'm understanding?
2: Yes. And make sure you use the proper words in there too, because the link, the recruiters are doing queries and they're using certain words to find you. So if you want to work in that world, find out what words those recruiters are looking for and add that throughout your profile. I think it's really important to do that.
1: Great tip. So if they're using algorithms of sorts, make sure you bait the hook basically. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Is there a particular place you know of where people can go to find out what some of those words are
2: that recruiters are looking for in your space? Or is it just a matter of knowing your industry? I would say know your industry, but the greatest thing about that is YouTube. YouTube has phenomenal videos of how to do this and do it well. Really? You just got to take the time to to review them. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So to the listeners,
1: the 24-hour challenge is reach out to three friends, colleagues, family members, whoever else to invite them to look at your profile and give you three sentences of what they think you do. Now, it may take them longer than that, but you have to reach out within 24 hours. That's your initial challenge. If you choose to go beyond and then update your profile, which we highly recommend after you get some feedback, then that's even that much more bonus and certainly a whole lot more influence in the right direction for you from there. All right. Then the next section of our interview, as opposed to focusing on, Marsha, you and your journey, I want to know what you look for in others. When you think about things like succession planning, career advancement, when you think about the term executive presence,
2: what does that mean to you? Executive presence really means to me somebody that I could actually put in front of a client and then I know that they would not only look the part, but also talk the part. And when I say that, that means that they respect how they look when they're going in there. They have good eye contact. They have a good, the former shake of the hand. And they also have that, you know, that credibility when they're talking. They're looking at them in the face. They're not looking down. They have that voiced projection and all, too. I have a lot of people in you know, on my team sometimes that I have to like help them out with that because their voice gets a little cracky. And so you have to put them out there quite a bit so they can feel more comfortable doing this because it's not easy to do that. I was scared to death as a kid. Honestly, I am probably way comfortable in the past like five years versus my entire life. So it was a nervous wreck.
1: And you're really in a different position than a lot of CEOs because when they're thinking about executive presence, they're looking more for someone to hire or promote from within their own company. You have the added role. Of course, there are those people, but the most common Uh, and most frequent assessment, so to speak, of executive presence for you is really in the people that you're placing. Oh, absolutely. The solutions you're providing. So it's your candidates. You have to gauge them frequently and quickly on that executive presence because if you don't see it, you can't send it
2: out to a client to fill a space for them. And a lot of people nowadays are not used to having interviews via Zoom. Mm. And that is going to be more the norm than not. Yes. I I also heard a lot of our clients aren't comfortable doing interviews in person anymore because they're wearing masks. And so when you Uh can't see someone's facial expressions or their teeth or their lips, ironically enough, there is a antitrust that goes along with it. Right. And so we've been recommending to all of our clients, like, do the first round via a Zoom or a Teams or a Skype, and the second round coming in the office so they can start showing them different things and all too, because it's a different kind of mentality that goes along with a mask on the face versus not.
1: Right, right. That's interesting. It's so funny. My brain went in a totally different direction from where that first started. And you said, most people aren't comfortable doing interviews in person anymore. They'd rather do it on Zoom. I thought, is that because we've only learned to get dressed from the waist up in professional gear and we're all wearing <laughs> yoga pants and sweat shorts on the bottom? and then be like, no,
2: okay, it's because of the mask. I went, oh, that's a totally different answer. Okay, well, yeah, that too. But that too. Yeah, <laughs> but I think people don't realize that. They think they get on Zoom and they think nothing of it. And, you know, you and I have the professional, I have a backdrop because of you. you. I have a light because of you. And I have all these things, but so many people look like they're about to rob a house. And I'm sitting there like, you need to be very careful because there's still that impression when a recruiter is talking to you that you didn't prepare, you didn't review and all too. It's the same caveat as basically in person. And a lot of people aren't taking it seriously and they really should.
1: Yes. Yes. It's not just about, do you put yourself together or not, but you still have to consider your physical environment, even things like, can people see your face? How well lit are you? If they can't see your expression, you're all backlit from the window. You look like you're in the witness protection program or something. That's not going to inspire
2: trust. So, right. No, right.
1: Not at all. Really critical.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's very critical. But you also have to have that confidence in your voice. Again, the more experience you get yourself out there, if you're in church, be the one to volunteer to read out loud. That was one of the best experiences I had when I was 13. And they made me read in front of all the people. And I remember the paper still cracking to this day because I was shaking so hard. And, and then my father said afterwards, he's like, I didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> Subtle, was he? Yeah, he was very blunt. And I just, after, I, and I really learned from that because that meant a lot to me about what I need to focus on and, and really work on. And the more you do it, the more confident you become.
1: Absolutely, and that practice is so important. Whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing any sort of public speaking, practice can only help in the end. Correct. Now, we just talked for a second about your recruiting situation and your placements of who your clients are, your candidates. Now let's talk about your employees, the people who you are hiring or promoting to higher ranks within the O'Connor group itself. What are the three most important communication skills you look for there?
2: Yeah, one of them is basically somebody who could say no to me. Somebody that has no problem just saying, you know what, I don't think I agree with that. And that's okay. I love also too when someone says, yeah, I messed up and has the audacity to tell me versus me finding out later, I have a lot more credibility for somebody who can do that. I think that makes a lot for me. And you know what, we all mess up. I say to my team all the time, if I mess up, I tell the whole team like, yeah, I messed up on this guy. He's really sorry about that. But I do that on purpose so that they feel safe telling me too. And I think people are just always so afraid of basically of, hey, I spilled the milk and it's okay if you do, you just clean it back up. Those two are probably the biggest things that I look for. I also look for that extra, just that oomph, you know, that person It's like, I got it. I got this idea. I'm going to go for it and I'm going to make it happen. And just out of the box thinking, I, I love that. You know, if you want to take it and run it and go for it, I mean, I just want to listen to it and all too. And I've said no a lot of times too, but it's the ones that just keep on going with that positive attitude, I'll take them any day. Then on the flip side, what would be a red flag? Maybe they got all those three things and
1: those sound and look really good, but something else comes and it just makes your hackles go up and you go, oop, deal breaker right there.
2: Oh yeah. Actually, you know what? One of the red flags I have found over the years are yes people, just too much. Yes, 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 yes. And then there's no execution. And then the deliverables aren't there, but they look good. They sound good. And but when it comes to the actual work getting done, it's a whole different story. So you have to keep them accountable. So the yes people are sometimes a problem. Also, sometimes too negative. There are sometimes people that just everything you talk about, they're just so negative. And it's not so much that they might be doing a good job. It's the fact that they influence the people around them. And that negativity, it gets tough because no one wants to be around that. Nobody wants to be you know, like, oh my God, that person's coming in today, dear God. It just, it's a Debbie Downer. So you need to be careful about that too because usually they have more internal problems than they care to admit to and that happens. But you gotta be careful of your team because your team's always impressionable and you, it's really how you deliver it and how you lead, that they're gonna lead as well. Yes,
1: yes. And there's so much gray in there where I think people tend to, and tell me if I'm wrong or if you disagree with this, but I find people tend to go to one extreme or the other. They either think, well, you're either looking for a yes man or you want me to disagree and, you know, which is it? And it's it's not about that. Sure, I want you to play devil's advocate. Sure, I want to make sure we've considered all options. Sure, I want to make sure we've considered, you know, any possible repercussions that might happen from these discussions. So, yes, bring up all that, but there's a difference between bringing up additional considerations before we launch one direction or another and just being the person who sucks the life out of the room. And of course, that person never knows who they are. But you all know when you're in a room with that person who they are. And you know that everybody else around the table knows that the minute they walk in the room, you can feel the air get sucked out of it. And that's definitely something to be mindful of. And if you've never met a person who's like that, ask around because there's a little chance you could be it. So we want to make sure that that's not the case because there's always one.
2: You know, it's interesting. I had a CEO call me one day on a Saturday and I was at my son's baseball game. And I remember saying, I'm like, listen, I'll use his name as Tom. I'm like, listen, Tom, obviously you have an issue going on with your leadership team. And then he started talking and he just opened up and spent a whole hour. I was in the car. It was freezing. So I was happy to be in the car. And he just went over this whole ordeal and he hired his COO. And the COO was one of his best friend's wife. And now all of a sudden his VP of sales quit and Two other people in a sales scene, quit. And through that whole conversation, and at the very end, I said, you know what you need to do, right? And he's like, no, why? I said, no, I think you do. I said, you know you need to let go of your COO. And I said, because that person's causing you basically carnage right now. And that whole carnage is going to take what you've just now built, gone, And ironically enough, I brought in an HR consultant to help them out with it. And, you know, she did a phenomenal job really coaching him of how to have a good conversation so that nobody really got upset and everybody was treated fairly, which is really hard to do nowadays. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do that. And he let that person go. And then as soon as that happened, the VP of sales came back, Mm. his team came back, he hired a different somebody else for the COO, his company flourished sure. and did so well. About two years later, he was acquired wow. by another company. So he, you know, he went off into the Red Sea and he was like, oh my God, that was like the best advice you ever gave me. And I said, but you knew it already. You just needed someone to tell you that. And so those are the things that we do a lot of, and it's all that listening that you do. But Again, at that process improvement of like, okay, somebody, this just doesn't fit in this category here. This is where we do our best.
1: Isn't it funny how so often in our gut, we know what has to happen, but we need somebody else to give us permission to tell us it's okay to tell us to do it. Then it's like, okay, it's been validated by whoever else. And now I can do what I otherwise don't want to.
2: Yeah, it's amazing, actually. And I can't tell you how many CEOs I've had conversations like that with. And they get really weirded out, but they say, I know I need to do that. But they're like, you do it. I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. This is a coaching moment for both of us here. Yes. And you need to do that, but do it with respect. That's all. And it all works out. Mm -hmm. So out of
1: curiosity, that person's company flourished. Did he maintain his friendship?
2: Yeah, he did. Actually, everything was still fine. It just had—it was a little rocky there for a little bit, you know. But she coached them the right way, how to do it civilized and severance and everything else, and it worked out great. And ironically enough, I mean, he looks back now. He was like, "Best move I ever made. I wouldn't have been able to sell the company the way I did." Sure. And and it was great. And my consultant stayed with him for almost three years. That's awesome. um, Even after selling it, surprisingly, so it it worked out really, really well. But it was a—it's pretty amazing the things you have to do, but you're really looking after these companies' welfare. And and I might take a lot of pride in that because you treat them as good friends and you want them to be successful.
1: And that's really a testament to the importance of good communication. That's exactly what needed to happen. He needed someone to help him figure out how to have that conversation. Yes, what severance package to put together. Yes, all those kinds of details. But money notwithstanding, he could still let her go. He could still give her the money, but never have spoken to his friend again. Or his friend could have been forbidden to speak to him, et cetera. And yet he was able, okay, a little bit of wound licking, but that notwithstanding, the company flourished and so did the friendship. That's the power of negotiation, of good communication, of leadership and diplomacy. So that was a perfect example. I love it. Then within your company, when you're thinking about how your employees talk to you, how they manage you, so to speak, managing up, as the expression goes, when they have to present something to you,
2: what do you wish they'd all do more or less? I would say to answer your question on the more side, I would say come up with more creative ideas. And come up and say, hey, I'm thinking this. I know you suggested this, but I'm thinking this. And come up with a plan, not just say it, but tell me, like, what are your steps behind it? I'm a bullet point person. And and I always tell my team, if you want me to listen to something, put it in bullet points, show me a graph or two, and show me how it's going to add value. And once you start doing that, and I've said to a lot of people, I'm like, that is brilliant. Let's do it and put it in place. So I wish more of that. What I wish less of is the fact that everybody's doing great and all too, but I wish I would hear more things. I think sometimes they want to shelter me and protect me because mm. I'm the CEO of small things, but I prefer to know the good, the bad and the ugly Yeah. and I don't want to fix it. I just want to hear it and know about it. So I don't like is that like two or three months goes down the road and no one told me something that I probably should have been told. Even though like, well, we didn't think you'd tell you because you have enough on your plate. Right. And it's like, well, I still feel like I should have known that. That's what I don't like.
1: Right. I don't like being kept in the dark. That's definitely one of my pet peeves. Mm -hmm. Now, this brings us to our final round, which is the speed round. And these are some issues that are the most common themes and challenges that often arise in my coaching and my training with different clients where they often feel like they're the only ones. struggle with this. You know, it's easy for everybody else, but it's just for me, for me, for me, it's hard. And we want to let people know that they're not alone. That These are challenges that we all struggle with one way or another. So in one word or phrase, initially, where do you stand on each of these issues? And then we'll follow up with a question where you get to give a little bit more detail on each one. So first thing is about public speaking. Love it or hate it? Love it. Then in order for those who perhaps don't love it as much, what's a tip that you could give them on how to speak with more confidence, even if they don't feel it?
2: Tape yourself and watch your tapings. And more than once, just keep on doing it. And the more you get out there and start reading out even books to a whole chapter out loud in your living room, you know, and do it while you're standing too, because you have to project differently than sitting down. And the more times you do that out loud and hear your voice, really listen to your voice talking, and then basically repeat what was that story about, you're going to actually know and how to learn how to basically have a voice of confidence because now you yourself are listening to what you're saying.
1: Then would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert?
2: I'm a very low extrovert. So what does that mean? That means I need a lot of my own time away from talking to people all the time, even though I do that in my job and people are like, yeah, you're the person that talks to people, no problem. And you can talk to the bus driver, no problem. I need my downtime. I need my gardening. I need my cooking. I need time to process. And uh, I have like, my husband can go on 24 seven talking to people. I can't do that. I have to have my own time. I'll be back. And I'll drive for like an hour because I just need to be away from everybody. But that recharges me. But also having a breakfast with somebody charges me up too. But I can also crash on a Friday afternoon because I'm so exhausted and talking to people. So and it's give me. I tell my husband like just give me 20 minutes. I need to sit here and do nothing in bed. And I sometimes just meditate, and then I'm fine. Then I'm back to normal again. But that's a low E. Got it.
1: With regard to that, on the low or wherever you fall in that continuum. What's one strength from being at that point on the continuum? And what's one area that you're still working on as a result?
2: I would say one strength is I know what I'm done for the day. Mm. I know that I need to sit and relax. I need to just take it all in and breathe. One thing I need to work on is I try to get so much done in one day that sometimes it's too much. Mm. And I'm total exhaustion when I'm done when I shouldn't do that. But I was worse in my 20s than I am today. But I do try to squeeze as much as I possibly can in within 24 hours. But I need to slow that down. <laughs> I know as, as an extrovert, personally, I'm
1: good at, at pushing my limits. It takes a lot to get me to the point where I'm really exhausted. But once I hit that wall, I get cranky. And I get short-tempered and a little impatient. So I need to really make sure. Again, it takes a lot for me to get there. But if I do, get out of my way.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. When I sleep, my husband doesn't even know how I do it. He goes, I go brush my teeth. I come back and you're completely out. And I'm like, well, cause I think I exhaust everything I possibly have every single day. So that's why. Yes.
1: Yes. Just throw the switch and you're down to yep. the count. That's a good place to be. It is. Final question. Regarding conflict, is your natural inclination to engage or
2: avoid? I actually like engaging. I would prefer to put the cards on the table. Let's have the conversation. Just basically figure out. And basically, it's not a win win here. This is basically, I want to hear your side. I'm going to talk to my side, get it out because you know what? It's going to be that black cloud on top of you. So let's talk about this and get it over with.
1: Then, what's one piece of advice that you could give to others whose reflex is or perhaps is not like yours?
2: Well, I know there's people that just go around and go around the bush. And what I try to tell them, like, listen, think of it as a black cloud. And every night you go to bed, that black cloud's still there. So the sooner that you open up the clouds, sooner and the easier you're going to fall asleep. Lots of times people worry so much about something. And I try to tell them, don't make it a worry until it's a true worry. Because worrying is such a waste of time. And you really can't do anything with it. And it creates fear, it creates panic and all too. And do only what you can control. And I have this great quote, I tell everybody all the time. It controls you or you control it. Once you start looking at all those panic worlds and you say to yourself, I can control this, things just change. And you see it differently. And you say to Mike, this is wasting my time. I need to make a decision here.
1: Yes, I love it. It controls you or you control it. It is very much that clean of a choice. Mm -hmm. Marsha, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and the O'Connor Group?
2: Thank you, Laura. Well, they can go to our website, which is www.tocgrp.com. And by all means, we have a LinkedIn page as well. So feel free to like our page out there. Obviously, the O'Connor Group, all O's. And feel free to visit us in King of Prussia when we reopen again. Yes, hopefully that will be sooner rather than later.
1: With that, again, Marsha, thank you for joining us. To you out there listening, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever other platform you're using so you never miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my Quick Start Guide to Mastering the Three Cs, command the room connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sacola and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.
0: Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-Suite, the show for readers who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success, and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.